Morning. How are we doing? This is going to be a challenging, but I hopefully an encouraging message. Uh, it might actually be life-giving and transforming, to be honest. There's just gonna be some important pieces as we walk through this. Uh, again, I wanna remind you that this is a conversation, but it's four weeks long. So if you're coming here for the first one, I'm so glad that you're here, but just know we've kind of talked about this for the last two weeks with different things, different emphasis, and it really is one continuous conversation that helps us understand what is God really saying about gender, sexuality, what, 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 is, what is his perspective from this? Uh, secondly, as Jeremy already mentioned, this is PG-13, so I just wanna let you know one last time, I don't think we can say this enough, as we go into today's message. Lastly, and here's what's gonna be different, uh, I want your questions. So what have we not hit so if you've been here for a few weeks, there are some things that you're like, well, I've got a question about, and let me just kind of put this uh, at rest. I will not answer them today. Uh, I'm not planning on doing that. That would take too long. Uh, plus, I don't know if you've been here previous weeks, but I'm just looking for themes. I'm looking for things that we've not hit as we wrap up the series next weekend. I kind of want to make sure I hit the main things. But with that being said, uh, we, all, we all have experienced the impact of sexual brokenness. Every single one of us. And we talked about that a lot on week one. So let's ensure that, like Jesus, we approach it with grace and truth. And two weeks ago, this is what we talked about, uh, this idea of uh, grace and truth. Now, many of us, all of us, fall on more on one side than the other. And you know yourself and you know other people. Are, are you one that is more grace-driven in your life? Uh, meaning you're just more of an empathetic, compassionate connective, it's all good, let's just all get along together, you know, more of a graceful person. Uh, the other side of it is uh, you might find yourself more as a truthful person, to be like, no, this is what's right, this is what's real, this is what's good, this is what is honoring, and, and you want to make sure everybody understands this. Now, we understand that if you lean one side or the other, if you do not have the balance, it's tension, because this is the picture of the cross, Jesus balanced grace and truth. John 1.14 said Jesus came with grace and truth. You need both of them. And so uh, as we talked about a few weeks ago, just as a quick reminder, uh, grace without truth is destructive because it can enable harmful behavior and prevent necessary accountability and growth. And again, we spent a lot of time with this two weeks ago. Truth without grace is destructive as it often leads to legalism, judgmentalism, and the erosion of meaningful relationships. You might be right, but you're dead wrong in how you approach the truth as it pertains to other people. And so we need a balance of both. So grace and truth, the combination of that is essential. Grace provides the opportunity for forgiveness and reconciliation while truth acknowledges and addresses the issues. And again, I went a lot further than that two weeks ago as we talked about what does God say the purpose of having sex and marriage. So that was kind of the theme of last week. Two, I mean, two weeks ago. Last week, Kelly came and he talked about um, homosexuality. And he made a distinction and a difference between how we approach those who are connected to Christ versus those not in Christ. And as Christians, we have a tendency to use this as a weapon. I think he called it the NVI 9000. And if you have no idea why I'm saying NVI versus NIV, you were not here last week. So you can go back to that you know, as well. But we use this as a weapon to those who are not connected to Christ versus using this as a tool to those who don't yet know him and those who do know him. And so next week, just a little heads up. I just want to give this to you. The heads up is this. 
Those of you who are followers in Christ, next week's not gonna be pleasant for any of us. But it's gonna be good, you know, in, in that kind of way. Last thing I wanna say uh, before we kind of move on to today is a shout out to Miss Kathy Jones. I know you're watching Kathy. She's recovering from surgery. Love you, Kathy, and uh, hope you get well soon. So that's just for your 9.30 special and for Kathy who's watching right now. Okay, so today uh, we get to talk about uh, an issue, a subject, I should say, that is growing in popularity, and that is gender identity. So we're going to talk about gender identity. Now, I'm not going to talk about all the ways, because I do not have that much time, that people are identifying themselves based on their gender, because the list is getting longer and longer based on their participation in gender or even sexuality. So things like bisexual, asexual, pansexual, Latinx, queer gender, or gender queer, furries, etc. But today, I want to focus on two, because this is where the conversation is. I was on a campus tour just uh, this last weekend, and as we got into the dorms, uh, one of the parents raised a hand and said, well, what about uh, those who uh, identify as transgender? Where do they sleep? Where do they house? And I was like, great question. And then it became this kind of question they walked through with the people, because this is a common question on the college campuses and in all of our areas today. So let me just make sure we are on the same page when it comes to definitions. Transgender describes individuals whose internal sense of gender identity does not align with their birth sex. So people who say, you know what, um, I feel differently, I'm identifying differently on the inside based on my biological on the outside. And so I am transgender, meaning I am transitioning either in dress, uh, could be in medication, actually could even lead into surgeries that's gonna make me conform to what I think my gender should be. That's just, the, that's just the definition. You can just go online. That's the definition of transgender. Now, the other term I wanna give to you today is the word intersex. Now, intersex refers to individuals born with sex characteristics. That would be genitals, gonads, chromosomes that do not conform to typical male or female notions. Uh, let me uh, contextualize this a little bit. We used to have a term for this, and the term used to be called hermaphrodite. It's those who are born with chromosomes XX or XY that do not match with their genitalia or some variation of that upon birth. And so that happens, and it still happens today, which I'll get to in just a second. So there's three categories of transgender intersex individuals today. The three categories that I want to kind of walk through, because it's important, hang with me as we walk through this, is those born that way, those made that way, and those who are choosing that way. Okay, born that way, made that way, choose that way. So let's start with born that way. As I mentioned, intersex are those people who are hermaphrodites. The technical term today is over testis, is the specific definition. However you define it, it's as small as 0.005% of the world's birth population to as high as 1.7%, depending on which study you look at. And again, it's someone who has some genital or chromosome variance in any way upon birth. Now, years ago, doctors came up with some solutions for some surgeries to which parents have chosen when the child is born. So it's a very, very, very small percentage, but we can't pretend that it's not out there. Very, very small. Uh, secondly, those made that way. Now, this one may be confusing today, and I'm going to do as best I can with all the grace that I can muster. But I can tell you that um, um, my irritation and my pain uh, and anger is actually starting to grow with those uh, in 
the media, those in education, certain education, certain counselors, uh, politicians uh, who are pushing and targeting kids, middle schoolers, and high schoolers to no fault of the kids. Uh, There are surgeries that are being offered today in America, even though it's a very small percentage at this point to children. There are puberty blockers that are assigned to elementary, middle school, and high school students. Now, the reason I know this is because two weeks ago, uh, I had a gal come up to me in the lobby, and she came to me with a dilemma. She says, I work in our medical industry right here in Spokane, and she goes, I don't know what to do in my job because I'm now being asked this last week to prescribe puberty blockers to five-year-olds, and this is in our community. And I just stood back and, I, and she goes, I don't know what to do. Do I quit? Do I stand up? Do I engage? You know, do, am I, I'm the only follower of Jesus there. What do I do? This is happening in our backyard to no fault of that child. And so that child is being made a certain way based on the choice of the parent as a five-year-old and it's happening to them. Uh, also today, if you talk to certain counselors in our public school system, middle school and high schoolers are being counseled at times to take many times without the parent's knowledge or permission because the middle schooler or high schooler feels different. They feel uncomfortable based on the specific gender that they have. And so they're experimenting with some of these puberty blockers, some of these different ways of dress, some of these different types of things. Now, which one of us didn't feel uncomfortable in our bodies when we were pre or during puberty and those early years? Which one of us said, I really don't fit in with, and you fill in the blank at this specific age and this specific gender or this specific stage? Uh, There are women uh, who I know uh, personally who in their pre-puberty years and through their puberty years, they were identified and they identified themselves a term that's no longer used today, which is Tomboy. So they were tomboy. This is what that meant for those of you guys who didn't know. In other words, these girls said, you know what? At this age of America, um, I don't like the color pink. Sorry, Barbie. I don't like pink. I don't like Barbies. I'd rather play with G.I. Joes. I actually like short haircuts. I actually like to wrestle. I like football. I like to hunt. I like whatever it was back then that was more masculine on the side of things. These girls are like, but that's what I like to do. And one of two things happened over the years. Not one time did they ever think, do I need to change my gender? What they decided to do was, number one, is they embraced, hey, it's okay to become a woman who likes those things. Or two, they grew out of that stage because it was a stage that they were in. And so you talk to many different friends that are along those lines. The reason I mention that is because let's be honest for just a second. In our society, I'm not talking about Jesus yet. I'm not talking about Christianity yet. In our society, there is a reason why you're not allowed to drive until you're 16. There's a reason in our society today that you can't vote until you're 18. And there's a reason why you can't drink alcohol until you're 21. But somewhere, somehow, we think that a middle school student can choose what their gender could be or should be based on how they feel. Could it be their brains are still developing? Could it be there's still something that's happening? And here's what I want you to hear me very clearly for those of you who might be starting to get upset with me. 
If you talk to those in the trans community as I have, you will find a high percentage of them who agree, who say, don't push this on kids. Don't push this on middle schoolers. At least wait until they're in in adulthood. And if they're still wrestling, then there's a different conversation that happens. So there's some commonality that's happening as well. The reason I mention this is because this can really screw up a person's biological life when we start messing with how they might feel or what they might think about themselves. And so if if you are in middle school, if you are in high school, if you are in late elementary, I'm just gonna beg you, no matter how you might feel, wait, wait, just see what happens a few more years. Wait until you're at least 21. Wait until you're 25 just to see what you might feel before you go down a road that you might thoroughly regret. Okay, again, we haven't even gotten into the Bible yet. This is just me talking in general. So again, those who are born that way, those who are made that way, and then there's those who choose that way. So let me say to those, you know, those, that, those who choose that way are those that are making choice as an adult for many different reasons to start living or transitioning to another gender that is different from their own. Now, this used to not be a conversation. So for those of you who are under 20 especially, this wasn't a conversation. Even eight years ago is the apex of where this actually became a normal conversation. It was in April of 2015 in America on 2020 on ABC by Diane Sawyer who introduced a man to the world named Bruce Jenner. Now we knew Bruce. Bruce was a man's man. He was a decathlete. He broke Olympic and world records. And so guys would look and be like, If you ended up in a Wheaties box, you've arrived. I mean, he was just like the apex of what it was like to like, that is what a man is and should be. Well, Bruce had some inner stuff that was going on. And so over the course of several years, Bruce said, I'm going to transition and I now want to be called Caitlyn Jenner. And so, so Diane Sawyer had this conversation and he was affirmed and esteemed. And so it became more of a national acceptance and conversation. And here's where we find ourselves speeding this up as culture often does here uh, over and over and over. Now, remember, God loves Jenner. He does. Let me be clear. We have right now and have had people in our church who are struggling with their identity, whether they look like it or not. And I pray that we would be a church that has compassion and love. And so I want you to know if that's you, you are loved. You are valued. You are welcome here as we go on this journey of grace and truth together. So with all grace, and again, if this is the first week you're here, you're missing a couple weeks. But with all grace, let me be clear then, from a Christ-centered perspective, what does God have to say about gender. So let's start with the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19, verse four, it says, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And this, he, what he's taking is Genesis 1, and chapter five, verse two. And then Jesus said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer one, two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So from God's perspective, from the creator of the world, and if you are a follower of Christ, this is your understanding, this is the people that I'm talking to, is it as simple as I can say it, is that God created only two genders. He created male and female. But remember, 
What God creates, Satan tries to distort. And when sin comes in the world, then you have some other issues that come along with it as well. Now, here's what's interesting. I started thinking, I'm like, okay, what, how am I gonna talk about this? The word transgender is not in the Bible. The word intersex is not in the Bible. How, how do I mention this? And then all of a sudden, God revealed something that I, for some reason, had not made the connection with, and that is this. The Bible's best term for transgender intersex is the word eunuch, is the word eunuch. Now, for those of you who are not aware, a eunuch is a man whose genitalia is either cut off, deformed in one way, shape, or form, or crushed. Now, here's what's crazy and fascinating. I bet you haven't heard many sermons on eunuchs. Well, you're about to, so welcome. There are three categories of eunuchs in the Bible. There are three categories. Those who are born that way, those who are made that way, and it's those who choose that way. Jesus himself is the one who tells us this in Matthew 19, verse 12. Jesus says, some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So he talks about the reality that there are eunuchs by birth. We just mentioned that a second ago when the idea of intersex, hermaphrodite as well. Jesus is aware that since the fall that there is a small percentage of people who are born with a different chromosome versus the genitalia that their birth. Jesus is acknowledging that fact, small, small percentage. Then Jesus is acknowledging people who've been made eunuchs. Now, in the Bible's time, uh, this would often happen if you are a conquered people or you were asked to oversee the king's harem. So they would make people eunuchs. They would specifically castrate these men to take away any temptation, longing, or desire so that their allegiance would be to the king as he oversees the harem. Second time you would see it, it would be brutal when different uh, countries, when, when different colonies would come in and they would take over. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, some of which was a common practice. In fact, the Bible talks about a prophecy that the Babylonians were going to come into Israel and take some of their men and they would become eunuchs. There's actually a strong possibility, it's not definitive, strong possibility that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego might have been eunuchs upon their captivity into Babylon, made that way, because the guy who oversaw that area was a eunuch, the Bible identifies, these men, and also in their oversight of what they would be an overseeing in Babylon would also qualify them in that way. So it was brutal. It was hard, it was painful. And then the third category that Jesus mentions is those who choose that way. Now those who are eunuchs who choose that way, the, we have a better term for it, and the term is chastity. Those who say, I refuse, and that's what Jesus is referring to, I'm not gonna engage in any sexual form of connection with anyone or anything, I'm gonna put that to the side so that my allegiance and focus can be on God. That's what Jesus is referring by the third way. Now. In Jesus' day and before, eunuchs were often seen as outcasts in the Jewish community. And one of the reasons is because God's law encouraged people to marry and to actually have kids. One of the highest values, both economically for your survival, as well as for legacy upon your death, was to have kids, multiple kids, multiple generations. 
And so if someone was not able to do that, either barrenness as a woman or in the inability to procreate as a man, whether something was not working right or they were made a eunuch or born a eunuch, this would have been something looked down upon. In fact, it was one of the number of things that God mentioned that would disqualify someone from being a priest in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 21.20, it says, or someone who is hunchbacked or dwarf, has a defective eye, skin scores or sores or scabs, or damaged testicles. No descendant of Aaron who has a defect, which is the priesthood of Levi, may approach the altar to present special gifts to the Lord. Since he has a defect, he may not approach the altar to offer food to his God on behalf of other people. Not only that, but also it would hurt people's connection with God as part of God's community. In Deuteronomy 23.1, but you haven't heard this in church. If a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off, yep, I said it, uh, he may not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Okay, PG-13, I warned you. So here was the outcast of society from people and from God, and yet, don't miss this, God has great news for eunuchs. He specifically addresses them. Here's something, even though I've read the Bible before, something I never saw before. In Isaiah chapter 56, God says, I see you, I love you, and I have a promise for you. In fact, here's what he says in Isaiah 56. So in Isaiah 56, it says, don't let the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no fruit. Because again, they're looking at God and looking at others to be like, what's my value? What's my purpose? I have no way to reproduce. Then it goes on like this. I will bless those. Notice what God's saying. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. So imagine being a eunuch in that age and being told you're valuable, you're accepted, you're part of the community. If, see the grace? And here comes the truth. If you commit to my ways. If you follow me, if you choose on your own to say your will, your way, then you are welcome. You are part. And there's that balance again of grace. He leads with, you notice he always leads with grace, but then he also brings the truth. Now here's where it gets really cool. For those of you guys who wanna nerd out in the Bible like me, this gets really, 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 really cool. In the New Testament, Jesus has gone to the cross, died, rose again. He has now left. His Holy Spirit has come upon his disciples in Acts chapter two. Then we get to Acts chapter eight where the church is being birthed and there's this story. And of all stories and all people for God to mention, this is how cool God is, he decides to have his servant, his disciple Philip, encounter an Ethiopian eunuch. Of all description, of all people to be mentioned and to be remembered for all time, God mentions this story. Check this out. In Acts chapter eight, verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord sent him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, 
And the Bible does not make mistakes. A eunuch. The Bible wants us to remember, hey, he's not just a treasure. He's not just a person of influence, but he's also a eunuch of great authority under the candidate which the queen, uh, from the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Okay, hold on to that. Let's keep going. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over, heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and he tend to sit with him. And then it goes on to say, the passage of scripture he had been reading was this. And this is from Isaiah 53. That's gonna be important in just a second. Isaiah 53, seven and eight. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? Who is Isaiah talking about? Talking about Jesus as a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53. So let's keep going. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And he's about to tell him. Well, he's talking about someone else. So beginning with the same scripture, don't miss this. Same scripture, beginning here, Philip told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Okay, here's what's absolutely awesome to be able to think. This guy, to have a scroll of Isaiah in his carriage. I know we walk around with iPhones like, hey, look at this scripture. Was so unusual. In that day and age, they actually, in the Jewish synagogues, Jewish churches, they actually had to share different scrolls of Old Testament books because they couldn't afford nor they didn't have enough copies from synagogue to synagogue. Some would have five or six books, some would have seven or eight, and there was these long scrolls written on papyrus and et cetera, et cetera. And so they're reading. So for him to have his own scroll of Isaiah in a carriage would have been so unusual, but shows his influence and also shows his wealth. So he's sitting there, and it's one continuous scroll. So imagine that. He's just rolling one side, rolling the other. We have chapters. We flip pages. One continuous scroll. And so the Bible says this. From that beginning scripture... He tells him the good news. Do you think for just a second that he starts in chapter 53 of Isaiah, but then he goes just three chapters later to Isaiah 56 and tells him that as a eunuch, here's what's good news for you as well. So it's not by accident that of all scriptures, he's got Isaiah, starts in 53, gets to 56, and begins to unfold the whole good news of Jesus and what you've just experienced and how you, even as a foreigner, you, even as somebody who's been ostracized, you just came to worship God and you were only allowed in certain parts of the temple to worship, you as a eunuch have now access to God. And so how does the story end up? As they rode along, they came to some water. The eunuch has received this good news and says, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Then he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down and Philip baptized him. That is some incredible news. It's just amazing to see how God just weaves this old and new Testament and he has good news for everyone. But there's a catch. The catch is the truth. The good news is for everyone. That's the grace. But here's the truth, the key for eunuchs, 
for transgenders, for anyone who struggles with identity and sexuality in any way is to surrender to God's will and his way even when we feel differently. That's God's, that's God's line. That's what he's saying. He's like, follow me, trust me. So the question is, will I surrender to Jesus even if I was born a certain way? Will I surrender to Jesus even if someone else made me this way? Will I surrender to Jesus even if I'm choosing currently to be a different gender? Uh, let me broaden this to be even more inclusive because we need to look in the mirror first before we look at anybody else. Sexual immorality is the willingness to engage in an expression of gender and sexuality that is outside of God's will and outside of God's design. We're talking about temptation. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. The Bible, so I'm clear, these are, it speaks specifically. What is sexual immorality? Well, it's sex before marriage. It's sex with multiple partners. It's lust that leads to masturbation. It's pornography, it's adultery, it's homosexuality, it's sex with animals or objects, it's sex with minors or kids, it's molestation, it's rape, and all other kinds of sexual abuse. The Bible hits it on all different parts of scripture and just lumps it under sexual immorality. So let me sum it up this way. Instead of hearing from me, let's hear from God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse one through five, it says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Again, that's who I'm talking to right now. We urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already. That's encouragement. You're living this way already and we encourage you to do even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus for God's will. People ask, what is God's will? Here it is. For God's will is for you to be holy, which means set apart one of his kids Different following him as Lord and Savior. So what that means, stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body, the body that God has given, and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Again, I'm talking to those of you who are followers of Christ. So God's will is that we abstain, that we stay away, we flee from all sexual sin. Now, here's the thing. It's a lot of times we believe that it's limiting our freedom by trying to stay in God's boundary. And we see something like a gate, you know, or a fence, and we're like, this is limiting. No. Boundaries provide safety. Boundaries provide protection. Boundaries provide health and growth. But I get it, because you and I, again, are very much the same. It's easy to look outside the boundary of God and to be like, whoo, they sure look like they're having fun. Sure is greener on the other side of this, 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 this boundary. So I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go outside the boundary. And so we go outside the boundary and we're like, ha, this feels great. Don't deceive yourself. It does feel great. Otherwise, it wouldn't really be sin. Sin actually is enticing. It feels good. I feel complete. I feel whole. I feel energized. This feels wonderful at first. But what God says is it leads to damage, to damage in the things that I created you to experience, damage in your relationships with other people, damage and hindrance in your relationship with me. He goes, I want what's best for you, which is why I put the gate up 
Adam and Eve. This is why I set this up because of how much I love you. But all of us are tempted to the other side. All of us at some point in our lives has tipped our toe or walked fully. And the beauty of God's grace and his kindness is he invites us back in and says, this is an enhancement to relationship. Don't believe me? Just think for a second that I and you get tempted, I'll talk to you guys, by pornography. There's a temptation there. And so God says, stay in the boundary. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's life. You think there's a temp- temptation when your marriage isn't going well to actually start looking at other people or other relationships? Yeah, that's a temptation. But choose to stay in the boundary even if we might feel differently. In fact, let me say it this way. What if all my life I have felt out of my body like I should have been born a different gender? What if all of my life I felt more comfortable with the opposite gender more than that on my own? What if I have felt same-sex attraction since I was little? What if I'm not in love with my spouse anymore? In fact, someone at work or church in my neighborhood has given me the emotional or physical attention I no longer get at home, and I feel so much more connected to this new person than I was ever getting at home. What if I feel like living with someone and having sex regularly before marriage? Because, I mean, come on, Dan, who can really resist that part of ourselves? What if I'm sexually drawn to feelings as long as I can remember towards kids or objects or even animals? What if my spouse isn't meeting my sexual needs and I feel drawn to pornography? All those feelings are valid. And God's not saying you're not gonna wrestle with those feelings. What he's saying is, trust me. Uh, Kelly mentioned this, uh, this last summer when he talked about 1 Corinthians chapter six. He says, we can't live the life that God has for us outside of the boundaries that God has for us. Every rule, every command that you see in the Bible relating to everything is not a hindrance. It's to enhance or to protect relationship. It's for our good. It's for our design because he knows us even better than we know ourselves. And I know it's hard. Everything I show you, you know, is hard, but it's the better way and the better life. And it's weird. I, I like the words of Francis Chan who said, if God calls me to stand on my head for 10 hours a day, what will I choose to do? I will try to stand on my head 10 hours a day, even if I don't get it, even if I feel differently, because I'm gonna trust that his will and his design is best. So can we come to Jesus? I can't speak to the personal wrestle and struggle of feeling differently based on my gender on the inside. I can't speak to that personally. I can speak to other things personally, but what's cool about God is he can speak to it all. And he says, Trust me, this is gonna be a wrestle. Is it gonna be a battle? Yes. Is there gonna be some who are gonna overcome? Yes. It may be a struggle the rest of our lives. Yes. But we start by looking in the mirror. And here's what I want you to ask yourself. God, where am I right now outside your boundary? Where am I right now outside your will and your design? And if I can admit that, if I can confess that, And if I can repent, confession means, God, your way was right. I'm sorry, forgive me, which he he does, that's his grace. And then repent means, I'm gonna come back inside the boundary because I believe you know what's best. And I'm gonna choose that even if I feel differently. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today and the opportunity just to, to look at your word. And I pray, Father, right now, all of us would just come before you and 
you would examine our hearts and our minds and allow us to come and confess to you. God, here's where we have blown it. Here's where we have made the mistake. Here's where we, Father, even as it pertains to other people, maybe have come across way too truthful with not enough grace. So God, I just pray you would lead, guide, and direct our steps. Thank you for your grace in our lives and your mercies that are new every morning. Even when we're not faithful, you are. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, as we close, there's nothing more important than you and I making a decision to surrender to Jesus, meaning he's my savior, died on the cross for my sins, that's the grace, and that's the truth of the matter, but I'm gonna make him Lord. He's gonna be the leader of my life. I'm gonna allow his word to guide my life and live according to it, even if society says differently. That's Jesus' way, but it's the good way. It's the best way, even as we struggle with whatever struggles, all of us have them in different areas of our lives. And we're gonna sing a song and whether you're, you're familiar with the song or not, what I do love about this song is the words can become a prayer. So even if you're not one to sing, this could be an anthem, this could be an opportunity to say, yeah, God, that is true for me. I wanna give what I have to you. I surrender myself to you, your will and your way. Will you stand with me as we sing this song together?